Hello, winners, and welcome once again to the Wrong Button Podcast. Today, I am so fortunate to be uh, joined by the illustrious Doc of Adios. Hey, uh, illustrious, hey. huh? You are illustrious. I, I, I get to talk to great people on this, even if they're friends or like my wife and my best friend sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like they should be celebrated. You've done a lot of fantastic things. And so, yes, illustrious. I thought that would be the perfect way to bring you in. Works for me. Thank you very much. Um, and so, uh, full disclosure, I reason I wanted to do this podcast with you is you have actually developed and played or developed video games. Yes. yes uh, the one uh, mentioned and that I'm very familiar with is Adios. That's correct. I also... Uh... Did some work on Hard Space Shipbreaker for oh. Blackbird, and I just want to shill that because I love those guys. <laughs> okay, um, is that also? So I'm I'm a complete console scrub. Uh, I've never had like a good gaming PC. Um, I have one that I use for channel work and podcasting, but it's sure, a sure. heavy duty laptop. Is that also on uh, platforms? I think it's coming to consoles. I'm not really sure. It's been a while. I have it on PC myself. Let me look. Keep, keep going, I'll tell you. All right. So uh, the reason I wanted to have you on here is because I was listening to the podcast you were on with uh, Castle Super Beast with Pat and Wooly. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they were they were having you go through and describe your game, Adios. And you started describing your game in the term of verbs and actions. Right. Which is pretty pretty standard approach. And and that's you say that like it's pretty standard. So uh, one of the things that I want to do um, myself, I'm a huge, uh, I'm an English major um, by college degree, and I got very into linguistics. And there's a old linguistics theory that is the world that you see and how you see it or perceive it is shaped by the vocabulary you have and the lexicon that you can use to describe things. Sure. So um, I meant to. Add, have you ever seen the ocean? The, the actual ocean? Yeah, like ever went, swimmed in it, anything like that? Yeah, I, I've been to both Maine and California, so I've seen both uh, both coasts. Okay. How would you describe the ocean? Big. Like, like that's the that's always the thing that gets me. It's just you, you walk out there, you see the ocean, and it's huge. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where things like, uh, there's a old Muppets movie, Muppet Treasure Island, where they... At one point, Fozzie's trying to describe the ocean. They're trying to like make him understand what they're about to do. And he goes, oh, the big blue wet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you were to read like a lot of poetry, I'm actually, I grew up uh, in a fishing town. So like vast, um, a lot of like temptress, um, so many brilliant names and very poetic for the ocean. And you say big, and then I can listen to a sailor go waxingly poetic about it or completely crude and vulgar. And it changes the entire narrative of what you're looking at yep I, I remember for a while there was this sort of discredited i mean it's become discredited uh theory that colors show up in different languages over time and the the, the person theorizing it or pushing this theory was you know saying oh hey this is where you know subjective cultural perspectives come in and you know he was trying to argue that certain cultures evolved certain colors first like in a certain order hmm. um and he pointed at one thing being um uh homer mentioning that the the oceans were wine dark 
Um, and you have to remember that Homer was blind. Um, not only has, has the guy's work been discredited, but Homer specifically was blind. And when he described the ocean as wine dark, it was more likely because his, you know, the ocean that he touched felt to him like wine. Um, and he was just doing his best to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, despite that being sort of a discredited theory, it's been it's it's interesting to you know use that as an example. Still, Homer being blind, having a perception of the ocean based on his other senses, there's still a way that that you know impacts his his lexicon, right? Yes. And because you said it, it was standard to describe a game in the terms of verbs now is that like from a a programming setting or is that from a just it's a a game design thing yeah um if you watch say a bunch of gdc talks or you know you read a bunch of essays on this or whatever you will find a lot of game designers uh describe the actions you take in a game as, as the verbs um and it's weird because we don't talk about nouns nearly as much um Verbs, though, are just generally what we use to describe, you know, open door or pull trigger and shoot guy, right? Like, a verb is a thing you do. Yes. Um, so I, disliking walking sims specifically, because they're games in which you walk and you hear a, a story told in your general direction, um, and that's all there is. Like, you're often not the actual protagonist. Mm-hmm or the point of view character, you're a person who is, I was actually talking with a friend today um, and he, he brought up, it's like a museum exhibit, right? Like you walk through a museum and you know, you, you got the little earphone thing and it, it's just a person describing what you're seeing. You're not really part of the, the action, part of the story or, or this other thing. So when I sat down and was like, okay, what kind of games can I make based on my strengths as a, as a writer? Uh, I have a film degree and a, a minor in, uh, creative writing. Um, you know, when I look at my strengths, what can I build that takes advantage of those strengths, right? And I ended up going, well, unfortunately, based on the, the budget that I have, you know, early on in my career, especially, what can I, you know, what will people trust me with? How much money can I, can someone trust me with so that I can pay people, you know, fairly so that we can make good things together? And you know, unfortunately, walking sims were kind of one of the things that, that were kind of doable uh, rather than, say, like a big open world co-op, you know, shooter, right? That's impossible for me at, at my current level of income. They don't even give that to, you know, certain AAA developers. You have to be really, really cream of the crop or you have to be working for a publisher that only wants that in mm-hmm. order to get it. Um, you know, like even The Witcher, right? Witcher 1, not a big open world thing. Witcher 2, still not that, you know. And we see it's really hard, too. Cyberpunk, you know, they spent years working on that, and that thing broke, right? So it's like, what can I be trusted with? Well, I can probably be trusted with a walking sim. What do I... What kind of walking sim would I want to make? Well, I don't really like walking sims, and it's because they're verbless, really. Like, they... You you hold down the walk button, and mm-hmm. if you're lucky, maybe you'll get to pick up and examine an object. And if you're really lucky, maybe you'll get to solve a puzzle. And that'd be like something like Amnesia, a machine for pigs, where you, you can you can solve a couple puzzles. But in general, these aren't enjoyable experiences. And I wrote an essay about this, about this this idea that walking sims. I noticed they were dying. They got a lot of hype. Like mm-hmm. Tacoma had a Game Informer cover, right? And yet, 
Tacoma only sold 10,000 copies. Uh, the Chinese room started to close down. Like, these premier walking sim studios were not making a sustainable business out of it. And that kind of got me thinking, well, you know, maybe players, when they first heard about Gone Home, they were like, wow, this premise sounds really cool. I can't wait to try it out. And then once they played it, they went, oh, this is not an experience I would play again because you just walk around and listen to another story being told at you. And I realize there, there are a million people out there who are going to say, but I liked it. It mattered to me. And, and I'm not trying to like invalidate that. But since a lot of my work has been dealing with like people who run studios asking me, how can I make my game sell more? I'm very pragmatic in my approach. So when I look at a thing and I see that it's not doing well, it's not sustaining the business, I immediately start going, okay, what are the weak points here? How, what are the failure points? How do we solve this problem? Like I, I, I do essentially failure analysis, but for, but for art, which is really hard to do because art's so subjective. Mm -hmm. um, and I noticed that a commonality between a lot of the walking sims that didn't succeed was a lack of verbs. So adios, you know, is, is continuing that philosophy of like, oh, my budget's really tiny, so I can't do a whole lot. But I could probably do some interesting things here. So, you know, we had to cut, unfortunately, photography. We weren't actually sure if we could take pictures and then get them to save and then put that on the Xbox. Mm -hmm. So we, we ultimately just decided not to do that. Um, we also would have had to model a deer and animate it and have more dialogue and all those. There's a whole thing that was going to be there. So we cut that, right? But we, you know, and we stripped back other things. Like there's a scene in Audios where you work on a car. Yes. It was originally going to be like this is an actual machine in the game and like you can do things to make it work or not work and if you figure out how to make it work you get different dialogue than if you don't um the idea being that we would sort of connect that to the player's sensations uh as they sort of prepare for death which is what audios is about is preparing for death um and it's about a lot of things that's one of the things uh so for me, making a game with as many verbs as possible, and I know I just gave examples where I, I dialed back, but I mean, we still have fishing, we have talking, we have playing horseshoes, we have, you know, uh, cooking, right? Like, we have all these different verbs. Some of them work really well. Some of them, like, I wish we were, you know, a bigger team with more budget and stuff, because we, we are a very tiny team. We had one programmer, right? We had mm -hmm. one guy for QA, which is me. Like, you know, there's only so much we can do. Uh with the resources we have and that's true of every video game even even the most expensive video games in the world still have limits and with video games you are building reality from nothing it's not like uh it's not like a movie where you can just say you know you shoot a scene and you're like hey you know what can you can you like put your hand into that bag and pull out a gun there like instead of at this other scene like can we try that you can't do that in a game without like 20 people working six months of overtime to actually pull off it's absurd just because you are building an entire reality and you have to keep all of reality in your head, all the rules, right? Mm -hmm. Friction, gravity, all this stuff, light, how light works. It's crazy. And so it's very difficult to do, but we did it. We made a game where you do a lot of different things and it's you doing those things. It's not, it's not, you hearing about some other person, right? Like, if I was going to make a typical walking sim, uh, it would have just been Bill going to the farmhouse and, like, exploring it and trying to find out why his dad went missing. And that yes. would not be a compelling game. 
The premise might sound cool. You know, a son arrives at his father's abandoned farmhouse to find out why he disappeared. That's a good premise. Yes. But it's not about Bill. It's not about, you know, the things that Bill is doing. And it probably would have just been some light puzzle solving and walking around and looking for notes. It wouldn't have been a good game. It would have been forgettable. It would have been like every other walking sim out there. So making audio is a game about you being a person who is standing in front of an American chestnut tree and having that break, realizing, oh, I'm probably going to die. I can't win this, and maybe that's okay. That's a difficult scene to put the player in, but by doing that, we give the player, I think, a much more powerful emotional response than if we did did this another way. And when, when you're saying that, it makes sense, because when you describe, okay, Bill going to the farm to, to figure out what happened to his father because he hasn't heard from him, Mm-hmm. It, you're right it would have been very you're telling me everything that's happening you're telling me everything that happened um, and I know you brought that up on the podcast where you you don't like that you want to be able to experience it so you've introduced characters in Adios that might be in, uh, explored in Adios to the, the Hitman mm-hmm. correct? Yeah yeah um, I actually was working on Adios 2 yesterday um, believe it or not where we are you know, going through and being like, okay, what's the central conflict here? You know, so I have, uh, I have, you know, I worked at a line yesterday which, where it's like uh, a character says to Hitman, now you see why I want to kill this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the actual line. I'm not going to tell you the actual line. No, here. don't, please don't. Years in advance. But like, it's a, it's a moment, like a very specific moment in the game that changes the entire dynamics of the scene. And I got to just sit there and do that. And, and, and to build on this character from, you know, like what's happening in Adios is, is really fun to do because you get to explore him more. And as we're talking, like, does he, he has to have a name, right? And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there like, oh, I really, really enjoyed that I wrote this like a play where the characters don't have names. And now here I am like doing a, you know, like 13 chapter story uh, with the hitman i know how it ends i love this story but like oh no he probably probably do need to have a name this time <laughs> oh no what do i do so i, I gotta figure that out right mm-hmm. but i will say this if, if you said okay how would you make a game about bill going back to his his dad's place and how would you make it interesting um that's very simple someone else would be at the farm that's it like you would have him go and it would be seemingly empty and the tree would be chopped down and then he would meet someone on the farm and the game wouldn't actually be about finding out what happened to his dad it would be about this conflict between bill who wants to reclaim like who who thought he had who thought he never wanted to see his father again realizing his father is gone like mm-hmm. really, truly gone. Not just ran off somewhere. He's definitely gone. And then a conflict with someone else on that farm. That's how I would do it. Um, because that would be more interesting, right? It's really a game about Bill. And when you make you know, so many of these walking sims where like the protagonist doesn't speak or they only speak in voiceover, mm-hmm. it just loses that energy. You know, But if you have a guy going, what happened to my father? How did he disappear? And then you have, say someone in Bill's childhood bedroom pointing a gun at him. And I'm not saying that I would do that, right? Because I'm workshopping it here as we talk. Yes. You know, but if you do that, 
you're like, zing, oh my god, there's a thing here. And and you can, you know, you can add energy to the the moment by say setting it during a storm, you know, and then suddenly it's like, oh, there's a tornado outside. We need to go down below. And you've got two characters sitting kind of in the basement across from each other talking. You know, you can create dynamics and you can establish power dynamics and you can have characters engaging with each other and learning about each other and things. You can bring moments into the scene that change everything you thought you knew. And you can do all that and make the game really good, or you can make a game that's that's kind of solipsistic. You just walk around and you're like a vessel that hears someone else's story. So, I mean, even in the solipsism, it's not really about you. It's about somebody else, which is it's kind of weird. Sorry, like, I'm, rambling. I'm rambling. No, you actually. So it, it, it was beautiful how you, how you described that um, and how you wanted to create a create a story and a narrative and the conflict that's there with your games with two people talking. Because when I was playing your game and after you described it by the verbs, um, like I, I've read a few books on, um, like I, I read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels uh, about last year, uh, and I'm reading uh, Press Reset, which is about burnout in the video game industry. Uh, right now and i totally lost the author's name but he's a prominent uh video game journalist you're talking about jason Trier's books yes okay gotcha um and very good very approachable especially when it's uh like I, i'm 30 now um i've had i'm gonna say like the the quote-unquote like real office jobs mm -hmm. uh so for me like wanting to glimpse into that world that it's been very eye-opening for that but when you were describing your game as in verbs i started playing adios i've played through it probably about four times oh wow uh, thank you no thank you uh thank you i i wanted to play with a few things on it there um on how you said it because i wanted to get a feel for the verbs and as i was playing your game and i was trying to describe it to somebody else i was like it's like west wing on a farm without the politics and instead it's personal history because you did the you did something that was so well done in west wing where it was People walked in transition. They had a very meaningful conversation. And then ultimately there was that that finality scene before the transition of the next episode where it's like, here is the resolution at this spot. Mm -hmm. And I, w I was very akin to it, it. I was like, oh, I was like, this is this. I, I am playing a version of West Wing mm -hmm. um, and I could choose to do chores. I could choose who had the power, for instance. Um, one of the first things I did uh, the first the first action you're supposed to take, Bill tells the hitman, go out, we're going to go out and you're going to help out on the farm? Fine, we're going to shovel shit and we're going to do that first and you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And my first time playing through it was actually playing through it with my wife, um, who, by the way, the entire time was like, I'm waiting for him to be like, they're going to move a body, they're going to move a body, they're going to... I'm like, did you miss the opening scene? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in the opening scene, that is a that is a body wrapped in butcher paper, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was one of those things where she didn't quite. I, I was like, "That's what it was." And then at the end, she's like, "Why do I hear?" Oh no! And I was like, "Yeah, that's." Um, so uh, she also really enjoyed that, and she uh, loved the dialogue because it was for both of us. Because at one point, I was like, "Okay, let me play through the game," and I'm gonna play through it. And then I was like, "I'm gonna make her pick what to do." Mm -hmm. But you had these these bookended scenes, and you would walk and talk, and then at the very end, you would get the the dialogue. But I enjoyed that when you went to shovel shit, you could pick up a shovel and help. Or you could leave it there. When you had eggs and you were 
sitting across from your I'm just uh, uh you're sitting across from your executioner. Yeah, yeah, sure uh, that works. Um he's he's hitman is what we call him, but yeah. yeah. Um I, I was just doing because you said it, it's about coming to terms with death. Um and I, I was sitting there and it was like, okay, do I partake in this meal or do I kind of sit there and fixate on this coffee cup? Or right. do I fixate on this salt? And to me it gave this complete sense how would you actually be um and i know you said like you didn't like walking sim because that's what you did but for all the scenes where you had the traditional walking sim uh tropes it felt very poignant yeah it was it was in part because you know so much of the game relies on it being you and another person all the walking sims i dislike are are i don't want to say antisocial because that's not quite the word I'm looking for, but but antisocial kind of gets the idea, right? The you know, solipsistic isn't quite the right word either, but you know this idea that you need to connect with other people, like like human existence is not entirely solitary unless you're like in you know the inhumane condition of solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. When we interact with other people that changes us that has an impact on us so nailing a sense of actual human dynamics was really crucial to me and you know it's i I really appreciate that you you got the breakfast example because to me that was one of the earliest ideas for the entire game and it's because i'd originally pitched a different project it's a lot bigger uh it's about the character slick who's mentioned uh in adios he's the one who's fighting in the gulf war yeah um and you know in slick's game uh hitman and saul will lie to him and tell him the old man passed and wanted him to have the el camino and that's true the old man did want him to have the el camino they just didn't tell him they you know what they did um because this this sort of great sin of adios uh, impacts it ripples outward there's an impact here and it's all because of all the people who are connected to the event and the thing about slick's game is one of the very first scenes I, I knew i wanted to do was you sitting in a diner and being able to play with your food while having conversations and the reason was long time ago bioware made mass effect and they were like yeah we, we saw this you know shot reverse shot thing from uh, some tv show and we thought it was really cool, like some British sitcom or something. And they're like, we sh- we thought it was really cool, so we wanted to make our dialogue system based on that. And it looks like butt. Like, like I get that it's an early Xbox 360 game, the, the Mass Effect specifically. Um, but as somebody who went to film school, like, when we were in our documentary 101 class, that was one of the first things they were like, don't do this. It bores your your viewer. Uh, and, and when I look at like how I'm going through dialogue, I often find myself skipping through dialogue in games. Mm-hmm. And it's often because the dialogue is just shot reverse shot. You know, somebody says, hi, my name is Bill. And the other person's like, hi, my name is Fred. And then they just talk. It's just boring. Okay. that's but, So is that just like, um, I'm sorry, because I'm coming from someone who'd like. Sure. sure. Is this uh, shot reverse shot is I say something cut from me to you cut back and it's just like an engage like that where it feels yep. choppy yep. yeah it, it does feel really choppy right mm-hmm. and there are ways to there are ways to smooth it over like you can uh you know like the way barbara walters interviews do it um you know the abc newscaster right she'll start talking 
while we're seeing the other person's face or or they'll start talking while we're seeing her face and they'll cut even like between the audio like the video and the audio aren't synced up at the cut it's not when somebody else starts talking and that often happens in video games um where they they only change on the line change mm-hmm. whereas with like barbara walters you know she might be talking to obama and obama might say like you know I think we should do drone strikes and they won't even leave Barbara Walters face. They'll focus on her the entire time to get her reaction, her emote at his line. Mm-hmm. And they did, they did this with Oprah and that, that big interview she did recently with um, the, what's their names? The Windsors um, where oh, they would. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of those shots are just to help the audience understand what's happening by watching Oprah Winfrey's response to the questions being asked and answered, like, or, or just answered, you know, like sometimes you'll just see her frown or smile or whatever or emote. And you don't get that in a lot of video games. You just get line change. Okay. We're changing the camera angle. Now it's very programmatic because it's easy. I mean, I, I say it's easy. That's not really accurate. Anything you do in making a, a video game is hard, but like it's when you're doing a programmatic thing, the simplest way to do it is to have, especially if you want to automate it, is to have the line change and the camera change at the same time. If you want to get really interesting, you can do some lag and stuff like that. And I think Bioware has done this. There's a bit of nice camera work in there, but it's still kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you move on to like The Witcher 3 or Cyberpunk 2077. And I know that's a game a lot of people are like, oh, it's so buggy, blah, blah, blah. Cyberpunk has legitimately the best conversational camera work I've ever seen. It is incredibly good. Because apparently none of that is motion captured. It's actually done with AI, which is insane. Um, the amount of effort they went to to make those conversations feel natural without actually just hand animating everything or motion capturing everything is ridiculous. Uh, it, it's like tech that I, I feel like everybody should want. But me, I started thinking about how I have conversations with people. And you know what? I don't sit there and just stare at the person the whole time. <laughs> I fiddle with my French fries. I take a sip of my Pepsi. Like, I look around the room. If I've got, like, a, a toy to play with, right, like a ball or something, I start, you know, rolling the ball around or something. I fidget. And mm-hmm. it's partly because I have ADHD, but everybody does it. Nobody just sits there and stares at you the whole time without making you uncomfortable. So... For me, I suddenly, kind of by thinking about this, thinking about this sort of rejection I had of how BioWare's system worked, as well as how documentaries work. And this is like 2014, 2015, as I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, about 2014 when I'm thinking about this. And I was like, oh, okay. I can make games with conversation systems where you're doing things rather than just talking. Because up to that point, the only conversation systems I'd ever dealt with um there's a there's a game about a dinner party uh that actually is ai that learns from what you type so you can type anything in and it it can actually respond to you naturalistically Mm -hmm. which is wizardry but you know now those guys make games for the united states military on negotiating uh with people which is weird um like like could have been great games instead they're working for the army great oh nice good job i'm being really sarcastic here um feels like wasted opportunity but (laughs) You know, the idea that, that most of the games I played was, like, you have a list of dialogue options, whether that's the, you know, circular, like, 
Mass Effect style, since we talked about Mass Effect earlier, or the, you know, the, we'll just keep it with Bioware, the Dragon Age style of, like, vertical column, here are your dialogue options, you know, or, or you know, some games you just, like, I noticed this in Genshin, sometimes you, you get to pick dialogue, but all mm-hmm. it really is is just one dialogue option, and it took me a while, but I, I finally realized the reason they're doing that is is because those are the only lines where your character is talking. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So they let you actually click a button because your character isn't voiced. Therefore, clicking a button is you participating in the conversation. But it's still just one line, right? Mm-hmm. Me, I, you know, I messed around with dialogue, right? Like in, in Adios, you notice we had the uh, shit line, right? Where he's like, what are we shoveling? And he, you have like all of your options are just words for shit. Yes. And it's because Farmer is a person. He's not, you are not rep- like defining his character. You can't choose Renegade or Paragon Farmer. There's just <laughs> Farmer. Okay? There's nobody else. It's just him. Mm-hmm. And he has a personality, but I wasn't interested in using the dialogue system to let you expand on who he is. There's there's some choices where, like, every every single dialogue choice that Farmer has is something that he would say. It is yes. within his character to say. You are not defining his character. This is not a role-playing game, okay? And, and when I say role-playing game, I don't mean like the Japanese role-playing game, which is, you know, a completely different genre. It's not a role-playing game at all. Um, it's an adventure game. Yes. Party mechanics and stat systems. All the things that made, like, wizardry what it was. And that's because they were inspired by wizardry, which is, you know, a great series. Like, I could get into a whole thing. I'm not going to get into that now. If you want to talk about it, I'm happy to. But, like, like later. <laughs> because I'm, I'm rambling. <laughs> Uh, in a in an actual RPG, the mm-hmm. main core thing, the the one thing that makes an RPG an RPG is role play. Role play is not playing a role, even though those words are the same. Role play comes from a history of improvisation. In Audios, you cannot improvise. That's why there is an achievement when you point a shotgun at the, at the hitman. Yes, the achievement is a nice try, right? Because we, we know that you, the player, are wondering what would happen if you shot this man. And I mean, originally my plan was there are several opportunities to kill the Hitman, and every time you do it, time rewinds and Hitman kind of looks at you like, what? Because you're not that you're person. Think- yeah, you're thinking about it, but you're not. You're choosing not to do it, and you never would. But ultimately, for budget reasons and also just because it's better this way, mm-hmm. uh, as visually interesting as that would be, and there, that's, an ar- that's a good argument for it, Ultimately, it's better for Hitman to be just this this guy who has a specific life he's living. But that means, okay, why have a dialogue system at all? Why is this game a game, right? And there have been people who argued, oh, this game's not really a game because it doesn't have enough interactivity. You can't win, blah, blah, blah. Like, I wanted to do interesting things with interactivity. Mm-hmm. so for me as i was sitting there and i was thinking about it and i started writing the bill scene i was like what if i gave you dialogue options that would go away when you pick them because you couldn't actually say them because i'd been thinking a lot about subtext because this yes. is a game about subtext and i was trying to figure out how do you make a game about subtext because so many games are just text or lore or exposition and there's not a lot of like two characters talking about something they really don't want to talk about and that's what i wanted the game to be was a game about subtext even if it's you know me fucking hitting you over the head with a, an anvil it is it is you know there's still subtext there's two guys not wanting to talk about the thing they have to talk about 
Yes. So to do that, sorry, I had to take a sip of my Pepsi there. Um, no, you're good. To do that, I, I came up with this idea of you would see dialogue, and you would uh, you could click it, but it would be like I originally wanted strike through, but uh, we couldn't do it for some reason. There's just a limitation with I, I think the tech or the font. I can't remember. Um, but we couldn't do strike through. So we graded out slightly and put it askew. And when you click it, it disappears and farmer makes like a hump effort noise, right? Um, because how many times have you done that? How many, how many arguments have you been in or conversations or whatever where you think something and you know you can't say it? Oh, it, so. It- it was one of the most relatable scenes when when I got there. So for me, like I said, I, I saw the game first by watching Wooly and then Pat play through it. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I, I looked at my wife and I said, hey, uh, I'm interviewing Doc. So we're we're going to play through Adios. And she sat beside me um, on the sofa. And sometimes she'll watch games. Sometimes she won't. And we got to that part. And the first time, the the like the first actual sequence that you chose, she's like, no, choose that one. And mm-hmm. I did. And it wasn't a skew yet. It was it was perfectly lined up, and it was grayed out enough. Or I think the first one, they're all white. Okay. And then the next one went through, and it got grayer. And then she realized she's like, we can't say that. And 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 there there was almost a level of frustration there. But like that's the thing to say. And I I started to pick up on that because like I was like I was like from a storytelling element. I'm like okay, so and that's one of the reasons I went back and actually played it like four times because. The first time I actually didn't go shovel shit first, and I, that was the first thing that you were supposed to do. And right. I was like, "Okay, well, if I if I had done this or said this, would that have given me courage at any point in time to actually have said something?" And I realized that it was it was no, like this is no matter what who this character is, this is this is not him. Everything else is kind of like if if you didn't go shovel shit first, it's like, "Hey, I'll I'll save it for later," and it was you know we do have a little bit of camaraderie here we're both kind of you know in this together and there is a uh, uh what's like like not familiarity but there there is a, a friendship there that it that is honest and actual compared yeah. to purely a business transaction and that's why audios 2 will be the way that it is <laughs> that relationship mattering is a big part of what happens next um but i you know obviously don't want to spoil it but yeah for me giving you just this option to think things but not actually be able to say them mm-hmm. felt intuitive but i've noticed that in a lot of the you know a lot of the conversations that i i have with people um time and time again i just keep seeing like oh i thought you know i could game this i thought i could and and for me this is not a game you can game right Mm -hmm. this is not a system you can beat there is no winning here and and that that sense is is i don't i can't tell you where it originally came from i don't know i know that when i played deus ex human revolution i loved that the bosses kind of threw me out of my you know, attempts at gaming the game because mm-hmm. they had their own shit going on. Yes. So there was playing that game and, and going, oh my God, this dude, like I'm not built to fight him. 
But, you know, that makes sense. And that's really cool. And then all these gamers were just pissed online. They were like, but I built a pure stealth build. Why can't I, you know, pure stealth this guy? And it's like, they made the next two games after that. And the, the next two games just aren't as good. And I'm not going to say that the boss fights were the reason that the, the first game was good. But I, I think the game operating on its own terms and you having to solve what is there, what exists independent of you, is way better than a game that's designed around you. Again, it's anti-solipsism, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I generally find that the game that's designed to support the player and playing as many, like to support as many builds as possible, isn't as good as like the the old old school uh, immersive sims like you know Stalker or Thief or Hit, uh, not Hitman, Stalker or Thief or System Shock, right? These games, it was like here's a world and this is the way the world works. Here yes. are your actions and you can do whatever you want. Go ham. And the newer games, the newer crop of immersive sims, a lot of people are like, oh, people just don't want immersive sims. No, 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 no. The reason that the newer crop of immersive sims doesn't work is because the game designers keep designing these games explicitly for as many player types as possible. And they are thinking, they're being too clever. By which I mean they're not actually clever at all. But they're being too, you know, like... I'm kind of trying to figure out what the words I want to say are because I want to be diplomatic, but I also want to be supportive. Um, but I also want to be like critical. Um, yeah, it's when you get really clever about your design and you overcomplicate or you overthink it, or you're, you're trying to support all the player types or whatever you create something that is much less charming and personality filled because the players knows there's a solution. The player stops thinking about how to solve the problem and starts thinking about like what the designer wants. It pulls them out of the world of the space or whatever. So yeah, I've always been this kind of like, what if you couldn't do the thing you took for granted? And players sometimes butt into that and they don't like it. Now, Audios, obviously, you know, I think we have like a 96% positive score on Steam. Like people really seem to like us right now, um, which is, you know, really encouraging, obviously. But Obviously, a lot of people got it, but a few people in all the negative, it's one of the most like common elements of or one of the most common comments about the game is I expected to be able to beat this. And no, it's just like that. And I think everybody kind of starts to really get it by the time you get to Bill, because you have that line like, I can't say anything. If I do, you might die. And I think people, once they get to that line, they go, oh, I this literally is just something I can think and never say. Um, but to me, that was you know that was a way to communicate to the player without just being expositionary. Like, it's not the right expository. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's not about <sighs> games. Don't have to just be simple little puzzles you can solve and win. That's boring. Games can be about being a person in another place and in another time in a meaningful way. Games have this profound ability to let you live another life. And I don't mean it in like the bizarre second life, you know, this is just a place for people to do, you know, weird fetish shit. I mean, like, whether they're not comfortable enough like in their own life it's like this is literally like a persona for them yeah this this you know i, I remember 
when I was in school, a bunch of our teachers were like, oh, yeah, Second Life is the future. And it's like, dude, this has been around for like 20 years and it's not made a dent. Like, come on. <laughs> Second Life wants to be the metaverse. And now, you know, Epic wants to make the metaverse. And, and it's, uh... games have the ability to let you, like, become a character in a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when I was growing up, maybe this is why I think about games the way they do, but as I was growing up, I often thought about what would happen if I was in the movie, right? Like, okay, Saving Private Ryan, they're all shooting each other on the beach, you know, where they're arguing about the the Czech uh, conscripts, right? Yeah. What would I have said or done differently in that scenario? And it's obviously entirely fictional, but it does lead to the, okay, well, what happens if I actually entered that space? You know, how would I do things differently? How would the scenario change and evolve and, and all this stuff? And it's like, oh, you know, games let you do that. You can go to ancient Egypt and then you get to like exist in ancient Egypt for a while in Assassin's Creed. That's cool. Like, it's cool to be able to go back and walk around ancient Egypt. It's not perfect, 100% scientifically accurate. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. You're trying to get the vibes. The vibes are all that matter. You know, the sense that you're in this place. You don't have to have 100% realism. It's it's an opportunity to engage with the narrative in a way that is different, but that doesn't mean that you're, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you get to have a say in everything that happens. There are movies where things feel inevitable. Uh, one mm-hmm. of my favorite games is Shadow Warrior, which is a tragedy. Um, you know, it's a first-person shooter. It's, they start off with, you know, The Touch from the Transformers movie. It doesn't seem like a tragedy, but the game is a literal tragedy. Like, the way it's constructed, the way things work out, the whole game is genuinely constructed as a tragedy. The events that happen are inevitable, and it is heartbreaking, and that's what makes it good. Art gives us a way of engaging with emotions that might be less safe to engage with in real life, like terror, right? Mm -hmm. But it also gives us a healthy outlet in doing that, and that's good. You know, Tarkovsky being all, you know, the primary purpose of art is not about, like, informing people. It's not about teaching anybody a lesson. It's about preparing your soul or or rendering your soul capable of turning to good and preparing you for death. I mean, Tarkovsky is a very Russian Orthodox guy. Yeah, he's... But he's right, like even if it's filtered through that Russian Orthodox lens, art is a means of getting to know yourself. It's a means of exploring feelings you might not be able to otherwise. It's a way of dealing with things you couldn't do otherwise. And that's why, like, I don't want to brag when people give me praise for audios. Like, I'm not here to snap. Like, I will snap my suspenders on Twitter because it's funny. Yes, but but genuinely, I'm trying to make helpful things. Like I'm not just some egomaniac. I'm not an artiste. Like I just, it, it feels really nice and validating when people praise, you know, the work. But and the reason I'm saying this is I'm going to bring up an ex- like like some praise that people have sent. And I'm not trying to do this to brag, but like when somebody told me, "Adios," helped me come to terms with my grandma's Alzheimer's, or you know, another person was like. I was able to speak to my father about some problems that we'd had in our relationship because of your game. When I'm hearing that, I'm sitting there going, yes, that's what art is for. You know, I did it. I did real art. It feels good. It feels validating, right? Yeah. Um, 
and that to me you know i've seen people who are like oh you know i make art because i want to be seen as like a, a brilliant genius or whatever like i don't shit I, I i'd love it if people you know care like people like oh hey that's doc i can depend on him to create cool things that makes me happy mm-hmm. like emotionally but being able to make something that helped people because that is my goal is to help people that was so good but also and more importantly you know that's that's what art do that's what art's for that's why any human makes art like we see things in our head or we feel things or we hear things or we have things we need to deal with on our own and we make things we express you know we sit there and we go this is a feeling that i have and i want to get it out of me i want other people to see it and this is why you know the art that matters is the art that does that right like the epic of gilgamesh oldest story in the world that we yes. know of you know literally it's a guy going my best friend died and i'm going to die and my monitor shut off. Are, are I'm still, still here. I can still hear okay. you. Okay, cool. I think my monitor just went to sleep. Um, but like, we we have a character who's literally, you know, grasping at this idea of his own mortality. He's coming to realize he's going to die, and he's terrified of it. And and the epic of Gilgamesh lets him go through this journey, this massive epic you know, completely bonkers journey so that we can go through that journey too. And we can experience this and we don't have to lose our friend. We don't have to, you know, whatever. But for those of us who did lose our friends, for those of us who are contemplating our our mortality after our friends have died, this can be a salve, right? This can be a means of healing. And that's that's you know what I'm hoping for with art. I, I'm I'm rambling. Oh, I know. I'm sorry, but like, no, you are. So you're you're fine because when when you when you talked about that, I was actually going to use this to do a brief segue uh, in, into art. Um, I like to fancy myself a, a critic, um, not necessarily like oh your game was good, your game was bad, but right. the 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 emotions behind it. Um, mm-hmm. You've talked about on on Twitter where it was, um, uh, it was you know, two, two guys who, who couldn't talk about the very thing that they had to talk about. And I'm sitting here, I was, I was playing the game and it was probably my third playthrough. And I don't know, are you one of those people who, uh, how, how do you feel? Um, I'm going to use authorial intent. Uh, Cause I don't know if developer intent is a thing. Do you acknowledge developer intent or are you someone who goes, no, if you got something completely else out of the game, um, uh, like the guy who created Fez, who like kind of had like a breakdown when people didn't understand what he meant with the game. Uh, so, selfish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, I, I know who you're talking about. But my approach is uh, I'm trying to think of how to explain this. I don't feel. Hmm. Okay, here's how I can put it. Mm-hmm. Art is communication. Yes. Okay? Like fundamentally, like Marshall McLuhan, like communication. I am saying something and I put a lot of work into saying something. But because art is communication, we know that like in McLuhan's theory, right, there's sending and there's receiving, right? Mm-hmm. And there can be feedback. You know, I, when you're communicating something to a person, 
you are trying to make sure they get what you're saying. So if you're if you're making a message that doesn't make any sense, then you probably failed as the communicator. Now that's mm -hmm. not to say that you you did because there are people who are reading what they want to see into a work. This is the problem that we have with uh, the political games discourse that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Like we we have people who get out there and they go, you know, is your game political? And a bunch of game writers are sitting there going, well, I'm not writing political fiction. Like I'm not writing Mr. Smith goes to Washington. No, my game's not political. And then you have the 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 game critics who. There are many good ones out there. Okay, this is not this is not criticism of the field, but yeah. there are a number of game critics who, when they are fishing for "is your game political," are looking for uh, "does your game have a point of view?" And it would probably just be better to ask that instead of "is your game political?" because political fiction is a specific thing. Very, um, yeah, very true. But it's also they're asking, "Does your game make comment on something?" Is does your game have an argument it's making and that's because in a lot of like our writing 101 classes and things like that we're taught oh yeah see the yellow wallpaper or the lottery these stories are actually about blah 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 and like that's we're taught that you can decode stories yes and then in our in our critical media courses right lost did as much as lost is a great show and i love it Lost did irreparable damage to like, or the fandom for Lost did because you know, ooh, why are those trees rustling? Or ooh, what you know, what does this mean? Is it all metaphor for dead? like? When you do that, you create a bunch of people who think everything has to be about something. Like specifically, it has a message. But then you go read like Ursula Le Guin, or you read um, Tarkovsky, uh, David Lynch, like all these actually really good artists that a lot of these people claim to respect and they're like no nah, bro the curtains yeah. can just be blue yeah like uh Le Guin wrote a really good one especially because she's like people keep asking me what the message of my story is and she's like if, if i was here to write a sermon i would have just written a sermon i'm not trying to do that the story is the message and that's what david david lynch said too he's like the, he's getting interviewed by this guy named sammy and i remember because his voice he just says sammy and it sounds it's in his very nasally, distinct, lovable voice. You know, he's like, Sammy, Sammy, you got to understand. Like, the story is the telling. And you know, I can't do his voice at all. But, like, <laughs> you know, his point is, like, you aren't decoding a secret message in here, right? Mm -hmm. I don't, like, I would tell you the adios is not political. And you may say, well, hold on now there. There's a character who, who you know, clearly expresses opposition to the Vietnam War. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. But it's not a game about the Vietnam War. That's you a know? time period. Like, people yeah. actually, you know, oppose the Vietnam War. Yeah, and when I contrast that one character evaded the Vietnam War and another character went, you could argue that there is a political message there. But that's not the game, right? That's a angle through yes. the game, right? So... Other people may read that and get something out of it because, like, like I'm not making an inkblot, okay? As an artist, I am not making a Rorschach test for you. I did not just make something so that anyone could impose their own meaning onto my work. However, once you release something to the public, the public is going to do what it wants with it. And sometimes, you know, you get something like, uh, what's that song called? There's a really good song. And it got sampled by Dr. Dre on 2001 mm -hmm. 
you know, and it, it's it's that, you know, song that people play now in like video game montages of cool kills. Um, the next episode, right? Yeah. But before that, it was some like British band that, you know, and he samples it or Kanye West samples the turtles for uh, one of his songs on. Um, I want to say it's Jesus. I, it might... I think it was Jesus. It wasn't graduation because yeah. graduation was like super Daft Punk. So it was Jesus. It's it's either it might actually be Dark Twisted Fantasy. It's the they they do the turtles you showed me. That's the sample that he uses. Ah yes. Okay. Um, you know, uh, he when he was producing a track for uh, is it Talib Kweli? I think he's uh, there's a song I think Get By, and he samples um, Nina Simone Sinnerman, right? When you do that, art goes through a transformative process. Um, you know, think about think about when somebody's like, "Well, this is my song. Like, this is you know, my my girlfriend's song." Mm-hmm. They have a specific meaning that that song has to them that is not in in the song at all. It's context, right? You know, they heard that song when they were say on a date somewhere, and that became their song. Yes, you know, that is valid. Like when you make something, other people are going to derive meaning from it that may not be what you intended at all. That's okay. That's good. The only place that I I personally like get annoyed by is when somebody is like trying to say that I'm saying something else. Then I'm like, uh, I don't like this, you know. Now that said, uh, I have analyzed work where I've said, well, so the work right here, right now, like it is saying this, whether it wants to or not. Um, and I did this with, uh, say, The Last of Us. I said, look, the the problem I have with The Last of Us is it is purporting to say something meaningful about human existence, but it is deriving all of its drama from existing zombie fiction. Not only is it saying nothing new, but it is specifically using twists from other works mm-hmm. as its core theme. So The Last of Us ends up being a game that says, man, humans are really fucking miserable, awful people, and violence begets violence, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but if we actually look at human, like, human beings in the face of disaster, what we often find is that people are actually really supportive and kind. Yes. The twists that happened in older zombie fiction happened because they were shocking, because you weren't expecting it. It was meant to surprise you because you know people aren't like this. Now we're at a point where the twists are all anybody remembers, and now the assumption is, oh, you know, COVID's going to happen, and and suddenly we all need to start, um, you know, buying guns so we can, you know, fight people who are trying to take our our gold. And it's like, man, prepper guy, that's not what happens. Uh, You need toilet paper and seeds, and you're probably going to want to have, you know, supplies to help other people too because you probably can't grow enough food on your own but Mm -hmm. together you might be able to get a garden going you know it's when we look at human nature in the face of disaster we see something else so there are times when you want to say hey the work is saying something that's not good even if the author didn't intend that that's going to happen there's nothing you can like sometimes you were saying things you didn't know you were saying or you didn't mean to say Mm -hmm. and it could be as simple as like you know using a phrase you didn't know was not kosher right like uh I, I read the other day, like, call a spade a spade is bad. And I was like, what? Is it? Yeah, apparently it is. Okay. Um, it's because, even though for, for it's really been around for, like, 
millennia because like ancient greek philosophers used it yeah um you know it originally meant you know this shovel is just a shovel you know that that's what it used to mean however uh in the 1920s onwards it started being used as sort of a racial epithet like spade started being uh, it was a word that people started use uh to refer to you know african-americans oh um and as a result when somebody says let's call a spade a spade it's like oh there's some there's some baggage there uh you know and i didn't know that at first right so yeah. if i go write a story and i include that line in my story and somebody's like now hold on you just you just you know dog whistle or something i would be shocked you know and i would be really like oh my god i had no idea you know not now because now i know that but like i learned this like two days ago so you know i'm gonna it, it right now so you're 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 well ahead of me uh, you know and so the, the point is like you can say and do things within your own context, you know, of the life you've lived, the experiences you've had that mean whatever they mean to you. Mm-hmm. And to somebody else, they could mean something completely different. Yes. It is completely inescapable because every single human being is distinct. Every single human being is unique. Every single human being is just as interesting as you. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing to learn but it, it it's what helps me be a good writer is because now i'm like well all of my characters have the capacity to be interesting not just the protagonist um and where am i trying to go with <clears throat> go with this i'm not quite sure but like the the point is you know to, to kind of answer your question like about where where i stand on you know is the author dead uh i would say that good criticism endeavors to understand what the author is saying and decide whether or not what the author is saying is meaningful or whether they achieved that goal. But the author cannot say, no, you're not allowed to do that with my work. I mean, unless, you know, it's like Nazis who really, really liked Lord of the Rings, then maybe it's okay to be like, Hey, Nazis, you know, fuck off. But because it does suck to have people claiming your work right like i remember you know there were some game devs who uh you know pewdiepie who you know said a very bad word on a stream after that event uh the i think he'd been streaming this this team's game and they were like you know what pewdiepie we're you know you basically live at our behest right like all this game streaming that happens is technically not allowed unless there was an agreement like explicit with the devs, but the devs, you know, they understand there's a symbiotic relationship here. There is some benefit to letting people stream, but technically everyone who is streaming a game is really at, you know, they, they exist at the whim of the developer and mm-hmm. every developer actually does have the right to say, no, I don't want you streaming my game because that's my content. You're just sharing my content. Yes. Um, you know, and if they decide it's bad for them, then they are well within their rights, as they should be, to say, hey, I don't want you using my work. So, you know, there have been situations, like with the PewDiePie case, where the developers came out and were like, uh, yeah, we're going to DMCA claim, which is what the DMCA is for, it's not an abuse of it, we're going to DMCA claim everything he does with our game. So just don't do, don't, don't play with our game. Don't stream our game. We don't, we don't want to be associated with you. And they're, they're in their right to do that, honestly. Um... So it's 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 complicated, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. That's that's honestly the easiest way to say it. Like, it is complicated. I find, you know, don't be precious, right? Like, 
I let's let's say Adios gets adapted as a TV show, right? Yep. I would love to write that TV show. Every episode, every you know, I would love to have the casting decisions. I know who I'd want to you know run the show. Like I know all this, mm-hmm. but knowing what Hollywood is and what Hollywood does, and knowing who I am and what I do. I am completely content to just walk away, you know, once I sell, you know, the adaptation rights. Like I could do either. Mm-hmm. I would be happiest if I get to have a say in the TV show because I thought through the game like a TV show as I was working on it. Like I, I think camera angles and shit. On this new game I'm working on, which is not Audios 2, um, I actually laid out in a board um, an entire sequence. Like just, just boarded out the whole sequence. It's like this is the way I see it. I'm terrible at drawing, so my boards look like garbage but i, I want to work with a professional board artist you know for that stuff but like yeah i know all these shots i could make this a cartoon no problem or a tv show or a movie i know how to do all that but i also know that if somebody you know wants to give me two hundred fifty thousand dollars or a million dollars or whatever to option my my work i'll just be like yeah have fun peace and they can do what they want and if they make a bad adaptation as long as it doesn't uh, reflect poorly on me i'm fine with it mm-hmm you know, nobody hates Avatar because of the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Oh, um, yeah, 100%. So, you know, that's that's what it comes down to, right? Is It's just, I made a thing. I did the best I could. I tried to communicate as well as I could what I did. I will be annoyed by people who uh, seem to, like, intentionally misread what I'm doing or impose their own, you know, like, shitty reads onto my work. Like if there's if there's somebody who has like a thesis that all games about the mob are anti-Italian discrimination or some shit, they oh, might God. be like, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm just, this is a hypothetical person. This is not yeah. a cool person, right? But if somebody does that, like, oh, it's if it's about the mob, it's about, you know, it's secretly anti-Italian, you know, my game doesn't even have an Italian mob in it. Like I have, you know, Hitman, he's not coded as Italian. He's just in a organized crime thing. And Saul definitely, yeah, it was because when I was when I was playing through the game, and and one of the reads I took of it was kind of taking uh, Farmer out of being the main character, and I said Hitman was the main character, and this was him talking someone out of like assisted suicide because he says we can't do this, you don't want us to sever ties, mm-hmm. and then he says go to a city, start up. There, there is a world out there for you. There is, and to me, I was like, no, this is this is him saying like, you still have a great life to live. Like, yep, you've says, had this. Uh, past give life. the give the tree another ten years of your time, right? Yeah, and, um, and do this and be helpful. And it was when I was reading that, I was like, oh, okay, like you could. I was like, this is a scene that if you were to have put him like in hospice and had a guy in a white coat standing next to him, I was like, this is the this is the exact same feeling that i was getting of like if you're suffering with mental health issues and like depression's hitting you Mm -hmm. somebody trying to help and reaching out and offering everything they possibly can to do that so what's what's really interesting though is i've heard i've heard the the suicide thing mentioned several times Mm -hmm. and i gotta be honest hitman is trying to talk farmer out of dying Mm -hmm. but that's not why Farmer is doing this. Farmer is doing this because he 
believes it's right and yes. he will do it no matter what. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I, I wish I'd been able to do better to communicate more clearly is for the, the first half of that game until you get to the tree, Farmer thinks he's going to make it out alive. Huh. He does not accept that he's going to die until the tree. And that's why he starts to get really flustered, right? And he starts to break. And that's when he says let me like bury me here that's when he gets it that's when he accepts it all before then like notice how a lot of those scenes in that back and forth you know at one point he even says to hitman you know maybe you could come out and live here you know everything about that that's not yeah. just a random thing he's saying he's actually saying why don't you quit your job buddy you know why should i why should i bend my life around what you want this is what i want and i want to do the right thing and for him that's what it is it's not it's not an act of suicide and and i, I think one thing that would have helped is originally we we're going to have a, a journal in the game and you, mm -hmm. you see it at the start of the game right it's the way you can check your objectives but originally it was going to have like his past in it like you could go back a few weeks and I, I just the more i thought about it, the less i liked the idea it felt too expositiony for the game but one thing it would have done is showed you that he went to an oncologist's office not too long ago and i think maybe people saw that they would have understood this isn't suicide he knows he's going to die he's just trying to do the right thing and now you can, you know, because for me, the interesting discussion is his morality. Is he a good person for doing the right thing? Or is he just trying to buy his way into heaven? That's, for me, that's what the actual question is. But a lot of people have gone, well, you know, this seems like suicide. Because he, he could choose not to and he could live. Mm -hmm. But he's choosing this and that means he's choosing to die. So isn't it suicide? And it's like, well, no. For me, this is sacrificial. Yes. His, his actions are a, a functionally sacrificial choice. It is, I will give up my life so that other people, like the mob has a harder time killing people. That is yes. what he thinks he's doing. That is what he's trying to do, is put his foot down and say, I have enabled evil too much and I need to stop. For me, that's the core of it, right? But a lot of people it, it, like, like you have, have, you know, had this interpretation of like it's suicide and the only reason i i want to push back on that a little bit is just because i've dealt with suicide yeah uh, not not only in my own you know like mental health stuff i mean like i've literally seen the fallout of suicide i've carried the casket down the aisle and put people in the ground that i didn't want to put in the ground and i would not write about suicide in this way uh, I can't tell you how I would write about it because I haven't fully gotten there yet. And I don't know if I ever would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. But for me, for me, there's a, like a mental friction, like just a pushback of like, hold on. I, this isn't how I, I think about suicide. So this isn't how I would write about suicide. So for me, there's a bit of gentle pushback there, but it's definitely not like a, you know, oh, these, nobody gets it. Nobody understands me. Like, I'm a brilliant artist. No one respects, you know, it's not that. I can't do that. Like, no, people have the interpretation they have based on the context they have, based on the lives that they've lived. Mm -hmm. 
And I can't take that away from anybody. I, I would, it would be such a waste, you know? Long time ago, uh, this girl at, at this church that I went to when I was a little kid, um, she gave my sister and I some jelly beans in like a, a little bag and it had a, a Bible verse attached. And, you know, we read the Bible verse and, you know, threw it away because it seemed like it was just a card and that's what you do with cards and, mm -hmm. you know, ate the jelly beans. We thanked her for the jelly beans the next week. She went ballistic. And I was like, you know, it's like eight-year-old me is like, what? What did I do? And she's like, you weren't supposed to eat them. They were supposed to be like symbolic. That's too big a word for our age. But like, you know, something like it's supposed to be symbolic of God's love for you or something. And it's like yeah. they're jelly beans. You eat jelly beans, you know? So I never want to be like that, right? I never want to be like, no, you're not enjoying this the way I wanted you to enjoy it. You know, when I play games and I see people mod them, right? Mm -hmm. I mod it. To me, it's like, oh, that's really cool. You know, I I expect there that people will do things to the work, and you can't control it, right? Rule thirty four exists. Completely different. <laughs> I know, completely unexpected, but rule thirty four exists, right? Yeah, like hundred percent. And then what is it? Uh, rule sixty eight or the other one where it's like male to female, female to male, and just uh, everything else. Sixty three. Sixty three. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Rule thirty four. You know, if it exists, there's porn. Rule sixty three. If if there's a male version, you know, or, or there will always be an opposite gender counterpart. I think is the exact text. It could be. It's been a while since I read the rules of the internet, but like, you know, people are gonna do that with your work. You can't control it, so don't worry about it. But if I feel misunderstood, yeah, I might, I might, you know, pop in and be like, well, ho hold on there. That's not what I was saying. Mm -hmm. Um, but if somebody re like plays the game and like puts together a compelling case like well here's how suicide's normally been dealt with in fiction and this game follows a lot of those same beats it's very specifically like doing this then i can be like well yeah i guess it's undeniable that it is you know repeating elements of a story about suicide but to me this isn't how i would handle suicide right like we can we could talk about it like that but it's not you know ultimately at the end of the day I have to make peace with the fact that when I release it in the world, it ceased to be mine. And the only thing I can be invested with is, you know, making sure that I am understood. But honestly, the game should be able to speak for itself. And as I become a better artist, I think my work will be a lot more clear without being didactic, because let's not be didactic. That's bad writing. Um, but that's me. And because now that you've you've said that and you've shown a different light on it, like I, I got the assisted suicide, you're right. Um, when, when he talks about going to hell and buying his way into heaven, one of the, the cardinal sins, like if you do Dante, you commit suicide, you go what to the sixth circle of hell and it's eternally painful. You become a tree, it grows, it gnarls. And having someone else do it, you're right. He's putting his foot down. There are points where he says he's wrong. And that's one of the things that, that I've always loved about, especially being able to talk to people and talk to someone now who's created a game so narratively driven um, that I can now go back and play it and be like, let me look for all the things that you have now told me of, Hey, you see this and he's not at, at this point, he's not. And then I'm going back to the tree and at the tree, he's like, no, that's not, that's not what I meant when I was saying this. And it's like, Oh, you're not even talking about the tree anymore. Like you're, you're talking about the tree, but we haven't talked about, what we need to talk about this entire time. Mm -hmm. And now you're hitting the acceptance stage and we've, we've gone through most of these, these stages here. So it, it's great to, to have this insight. Um, and I know we're getting, we're a little over that hour mark. So I did, I wanted to touch on one thing that you tweeted out on Twitter. Okay. Um, 
because I wasn't, uh, uh, you, you talked about, uh, open world games had a problem where yes. the, big, the big thing was you, you went to go do something. And this kind of goes along your lines of like beating a game. Um, mm-hmm. I I've started like when I was younger, I played a lot of call of duty. I played a lot of halo cause I wanted to play online competitive and now a little bit older. Like I read a lot more again. I want to play a game with a story. Like I still want to do cool things. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, sure. But I, I want to do a story. You said open world games uh, have this uh, point where it was, it, you, you go somewhere and do something because it's like, here's your check mark. You completed it. You did that. Was there a game in mind that you had that? Because I was like, maybe so, it was, you were looking at a specific game and I just hadn't seen it. No, no, no. Um, so yes, but also no, but also yes. Uh, I can tell you that the game that I was playing the day that I, I said that was Mafia 3. Okay. But I have been playing a bunch of open world games. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X, mm-hmm. um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Watch Dogs 2. I'm just looking at this list I have on my whiteboard next to me. Yakuza 0. Um, Great game. Yeah, um, and, and Mafia 3 and Crackdown 3. And Mafia 3 and Crackdown 3, there, there's... One of the weird things about video games is there are a lot of, like, genres inside of genres. Mm-hmm. So an example of this is the sort of Crackdown 3 slash Mafia 3 model, which is there's a list, and it's like, you gotta kill this guy, this guy, and this guy so that you can kill these other guys so that you can kill the big boss. Yes. That's the arc of the experience whereas you get a ga- uh, game like uh uh grand theft auto 4 or red dead redemption or um days gone and it, it pops up more episodically and it goes okay you finish this quest like you, you finish quest for jimmy and then a quest for bobby shows up and you go do bobby and then you know samantha's quest shows up and you go over and you do her quest and then another jimmy quest pops up and you go through this sort of snaking process of beating different stories. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how they complete it, right? That's that's how those games work. Then there's the Saints Row model, which is, you know, here's a zone, you capture the zone, you unlock the zone, you can see things within it. And that's that's this it's a similar model to what um Assassin's Creed games do uh Mad Max did it too. And I really love Mad Max. Like mm-hmm. that game is, I love that game. I love the ending of that game. I love how it's absolutely inevitable. Um, it's a great world. It's eerie. It's surreal. It's spectacular. It is a game that I love, but it's also just a game where you could kind of just sit down and go tick, tick, tick. I'm ticking off all the things on my checklist. Mm-hmm. A lot of these games have checklists. You know, there's the Ubisoft checklist and blah, blah, blah. But the specific model of like go to this zone and do this number of objectives and then you unlock the zone and then you unlock the next zone um that particular model is boring <laughs> because a lot of the objectives you're doing are really repetitive like in crackdown 3 i was playing yesterday oh sorry no you're good i was playing crackdown 3 yesterday and you know I had to take out, like, four train stations. You go to the train station. You shoot all the guys. And then the boss spawns. And you shoot the boss. And then you've captured the train station. 
the end. Mm-hmm. Bosses aren't even that different. They all have a shield. You take out the shield and then you shoot the guy more, and then a shield pops up, and you, you know, it's boring. It's just a thing you do, and it's so repetitive and unsurprising that it it loses its its excitement. Mm-hmm. If the gameplay can't hold that up, it's got nothing. You know, and that's the problem that I have with that style of open world game. I think the best way to do it is the Grand Theft Auto model. It is the Days Gone model where, you know, you are just jumping from story to story. And, you know, that feels like a Terry Pratchett novel or a TV show where you have multiple characters like 24, right? Um, But they give you a degree of choice. So you may just want to focus on one character. Mm-hmm. You only want to focus on, say, Samantha's storyline, right? So you sit down, you play all of her story, but then eventually you hit a point where it's like, well, there aren't any more, but her story clearly isn't done, so then you have to go over to Jimmy and play his. Mm-hmm. But the best way to do is just kind of, oh, where am I in the world? What story is closest to me? All right, I'm going to do that one. And then you'll find somehow, interestingly, ooh, mysteriously, that you're near a different story bit. So they kind of let you play a little bit out of order, but there's still a bit of order so you have to complete certain, like hit certain gates before you can unlock more of a story, mm-hmm. and that will take you through it until you get to kind of the the climax. Um, and I I think that's probably the best approach for open worlds, personally. Okay. Um, Audio is technically open world. It, no, it it is because you. Um, that's one of the things I I did when it got to the towards the end of it was I was I I just started wandering, um, <laughs> to to see how many different places I could go to and what i could see that like maybe you'd put like a one of the the big games for me that like my wife and i especially connect over was horizon zero dawn mm-hmm. um, because when i pitched that game to her i was like hey robot dinosaurs and she went that is so dumb and so video game and whatever like enjoy your game and we sat down and we played it um and she called it from the beginning there's like one point where she's like okay this is the rest of the story and i was like okay that makes sense but the the ability to be like here's a world that feels feels familiar and then just explore like the beginning it says hey you you can't leave this area do all the stuff here you know how to play the game that's all you need to know Mm -hmm. and then you you can just wander and you can go to areas where you're not equipped and it's you can beat it with the base level gear of course you can always get better because it has a progression to it and i always I, i was wondering if when it comes to emotion is is wonder do you think a solid emotion that you could try to like build a game on like just here's the mystery and just get human curiosity can that carry a game or do you find that that can carry a game further so for me i think that you have to have a variety of emotions for any work to function Mm -hmm. and i mean any work to function and this is a problem that I see a lot in a lot of a lot of work is, is people go for like one tone and mm-hmm. then they want to keep that tone and you can't do that. Like the Godfather has multiple emotions in it, right? It has anger and sadness. They may be on a similar end of the spectrum, but it has these specific emotional qualities and it's important that it does for the work to function. It's like having a plate and, and putting a different kind of, like, multiple colors on your plate, right? Like, I've got some greens on there. Those are my peas. I've got some brown on there. That's my, you know, steak. I've got potatoes. They're 
potato colored, you know, <laughs> doing that, having a healthy plate, mm-hmm. different colors on your plate is a better meal for you. And emotionally, it's the same way. So wonder is good. But, you know, I, I, I said this about horror and I've said this about comedy and it's really true for anything that I've done. Um, it, it's also true for, for adios, really is that everything is about setup and payoff. Mm -hmm. So for Wonder, the reason that Fallout 3 has one of the best openings of all time is because you spend so much time underground that when you walk out into the Capital Wasteland for the first time, it is an event. And other games have had those events. An example of this being... um, say Resident Evil 8, which I played recently. It has mm-hmm. a bit where you see the village for the first time. Uh, but it's it's a little bit less impressive because you've already been doing much of other things and you, you're worried more about monsters. Ugh. It doesn't feel like you're actually kind of getting out and doing something spectacular. So for me, Wonder, I think, is best as punchline and not setup. Similar to the way that terror is really, really good punchline, but it's not very good at setup. Horror is really, or, sorry, terror is good setup, horror is punchline. Actually, I made a YouTube video on this years ago, and some random YouTuber guy found it, and he got really mad at me. He was like, ah, this is, this is terrible, you, you, you know, who even said it, who are you, who made you God, why are you setting these definitions? And it's like, man, Stephen King talks about this in On Writing, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's literally like accepted horror theory. <laughs> like, this is this is what it is. This is how academia discusses it. There's terror, which is the fear of what might be, and there's <laughs> horror, which is when you see it. <laughs> you know, terror is the moments leading up to discovering the alien in the uh, the vents in Alien, um, the movie. Yeah, it's like horror a, it's, it's is all. when you see the alien reach out at Dallas. That's the horror, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work without that setup, that slow dread. And so many bad horror writers, like in games, right? The people will be like, "Oh, I don't really like jump scares. I really like you know the slow creeping dread." And then they go make a game where nothing happens, and you're like, "Eh, okay, sure, whatever, dude." No one remembers those games. You know what they do remember? Silent Hill 2, where Pyramid Head shows up and chases you. And yeah, that's not a jump scare, because jump scares are often just to startle you. Mm -hmm. But that's horror. Like, they have terror. But terror is not what you're experiencing when Pyramid Head is dragging his axe, you know, or his buster sword or whatever after you. That, that is horror. You can't get that without terror. You need terror to build up to that. And so I think Wonder's the same way. I think, you know, I there's a Ace Combat type game I want to make, and mm-hmm. I want to have a sequence in there where you are flying through the clouds with rain on your windshield and you can't really see anything, and then you just break out into a dogfight, like just come through the clouds, and you know because, you know, where we live as terrestrial entities, you know, on Earth, uh, clouds are above us, but in the sky you could fly through a cloud and suddenly be in perfect clear weather. Yes. It's just sitting there above the cloud. And that's what I want is just come out of the clouds and be like, boom, oh my god, there's 
fighter jets everywhere spiraling around you know just bring the radio in right at that moment to have people just yelling like sensory overload that's how i wanted to create a sense of awe is just to create the like to give you the sense of the bigness of the sky that's how i want to do it right Mm -hmm. um and so yeah wonder i don't know i don't think it can carry a game but i think it can be the punchline right just the way that a punchline doesn't carry a joke. You have to have this. And I remember you talking about that on the podcast was you have to have the setup. And it was, and when you say that, cause I, I'm going through the game, I'm like, okay, losing the father figure, you know, it, it, it's very hero's journey. You know, I don't want to do this. This isn't for me. And then you kind of, you know, here's the sword. Here, here's your inheritance, go forth, prosper. And it's, it's the hero's journey and, and trying to figure out, your your place like who am i as as a human and a place in this world that carries it and i just going back now and, and replaying because i know the story just to see i i love the world building around it because to me that is the ultimate setup is this great world that i get to um exist in um but i do have you like well over uh the hour mark so i do want to thank you so quick much question, quick yeah. question which thing is the hero's journey uh horizon zero dawn oh yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, I think that's probably one of its weakest elements, to be honest. Uh, really? Yeah, there's a reason why a games writer I know has a sign in the writing room for their studio, which is X days since someone has mentioned the hero's journey. Hmm. Like, it's because a lot of working writers fucking hate the hero's journey. Because <laughs> it's used by people who do not understand how stories work mm-hmm. to be like, here's the formula for good story. You gotta do it like this. And I, I read a really good, uh, I read a really good takedown of the hero's journey where they they were like, look, Star Wars, you know, people say, oh, Star Wars is proof the hero's journey works, but here's here's another hero's journey that's in Star Wars, and they they walk through a lot of the stuff that actually got cut, like going to Tosh Station or whatever, or <laughs> seeing a you know a dogfight in the sky, or whatever, and they actually constructed a very boring movie based on the hero's journey within Star Wars in Luke's own journey, and they're like. The Hero's Journey doesn't, like, it It was a way of Joseph Campbell saying, look at how some stories have commonalities in them. Mm-hmm. It was not meant, and, and he would say this too, I literally have a Hero's Journey book on my shelf by Campbell. Um, Is it uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces? No, it's, uh, I can't read it from here. That's fine. Yeah, it's um, The Power of Myth, I think. Oh, Joseph okay, Campbell. yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, a teacher gave it to me, and that's that's why I keep it. Is because it was given to me by a very good teacher. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, a lot of a lot of people resent it because it's it's where you get like the exec coming and going. Okay, but where's you know where's the the fucking rejection on page fourteen or whatever? I don't. We don't need that. Like, yeah. Don't you don't want to build a story that way? You want to build a story on character. Yeah. Character says, "I want this." But something's in the way, and I need to overcome it to succeed. Mm -hmm. All Joseph Campbell was doing was identifying, oh, here's some different myths that have the same thing. But there's a bajillion other myths that don't follow the hero's journey at all. So it's it's one of those things like, ooh, do not do not talk to too many game writers uh, favorably about the uh, the hero's journey because a lot of them get really annoyed with it, and rightfully so. Um, It is it is it's just better as like a thing for myth studies Mm -hmm. than it is for narrative. Um, for me, the most powerful and important piece of writing I've ever read, I think this is a good way to close too, is uh, David Mamet, 
one of the greatest playwrights of the 20th century, uh, writing his Letter to the Writers of the Unit, which was a TV show that he was working on at the time. Um, and it is a brilliant little, like, all caps, sardonic uh, explanation of what a story needs to be dramatic. And he has he, he has this bit, and he says, you know, to the suits and to us, sometimes it seems like our job is to convey information. But you wouldn't tune in to view information. I wouldn't tune in to view information. The suits won't tune in for information. We come for drama. And then the rest of his thing is about what drama is and why it matters, which is, you know, it's uh, like, who, who is it? What do they want? And why now, basically? Um, you know, and there's all sorts of little nuggets of writing advice that you can pop in, like, um, write, begin any scene as late as possible mm-hmm. and exit it as early as possible. You know, things like that that really help things feel better. There's, there's tons of great writing advice out there. Just uh, I would, I personally try to avoid McKee and uh, Campbell myself. Uh-huh. Also, Campbell was super racist, so there's that. <laughs> I uh, I see. For me, it was uh, I went to school and I had a I had a great teacher who uh, loved Oscar Wilde, and I fell in love with uh, with Wilde's criticism, where he would say that my job is like, or anyone's job who does like a let's play and does like a criticism of a game. Like, I now have to take my opinion on your game and make it enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. And I I loved the, the sarcasm of like how posh uh criticism actually was and was seen so it's like i, I said the hero's journey because it's it, it's like you said um uh maybe you were talking about this on twitter where it was uh you said uh you like anime with good stories but you also like when it goes i'm sorry master i have to use that technique and it's it's that kind of like guilty pleasure like at, at the end of the day you're right the hero's journey it's it's very it's very cliche it has this and you don't need it but sometimes you just want to like be like, okay, I remember that. That's familiar, and I do like hearing it. Yep, yep. That's that's absolutely valid. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's a there's a really good pleasure just knowing a character is about to go all out. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it's in part because of what I am writing right now. It requires some of this, but that's a secret. I'm still I, working on that game. I completely understand. If I can throw any event in there. Um, a lot of people hate on the first season of Hunter Hunter, uh, but there's a point where the main character goes up against someone so much stronger than him, and it's probably one of my favorite because at the very end of it, he just goes, the guy beats him, and he goes, but you had to use your other hand, and you said you wouldn't. And it, it's it's that little win of like growth and just mm-hmm. him learning. And I, If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. I, I do need to see Hunter Hunter at some point. I will say that the way I am constructing this new story mm-hmm. is to surprise people who think they know what's going to happen. Oh, okay. It is, it is a story that is built on people going, there's no way Doc is going to do that. There's no way secretly psyching themselves up for this, getting really excited. And then they get there and they go, oh my God, this was way better than I thought. He's doing something completely different that I wasn't expecting. And he seeded this like 12 chapters ago. Holy fuck. That's what I'm going for, you know, because that's what I want, right? It's not Mm -hmm. about them seeing me and being impressed with 
me. It's about getting them to the emotional, oh my god, you know? It's, it's, I want the audience to feel powerfully. I want them to feel incredible emotionality when they, when they hit the work. So the things I'm trying to do with this work are go really in deep into kind of the things that Ace Combat does with the emotional intensity. Mm-hmm. So, but to do that, I'm trying to be really deft with anime tropes and storytelling and not just like, Ooh, I'm going to subvert your tropes. I mean like really strong character driven stuff that plays with things you're familiar with and then surprises you um, with like, Oh, right. I didn't, that makes sense. I didn't think it could go there. Like that kind of thing where it's like, I want you to try to anticipate what I'm doing, but I want you to be wrong, but I want you to be really happy that you're wrong. Does that make sense? That No, I that that makes complete sense. Um, and so you don't give away more on your work, um, and we can wrap this up. I have one yeah. final question for you sure, sure. Um, before we uh, roll out uh, red carpet for you and, and show where you're at. Are you the kind of person who will pick up a book, a story, like a point A, point B, mm-hmm. and read the last page first at all? No, uh, I, I tend to find myself wanting to do that more with like movies, mm-hmm. but with books, no, I, I sit down and I just read the book. I have okay. occasionally, you know, peaked later on, but generally I try to try to start at the beginning and, and work my way through because the writer is building something mm-hmm. and it's, it's a journey and it's best, I think, to start at the beginning, unless you read like Joe Abercrombie, <laughs> that journey wasn't worth it. <laughs> But anything else, it's it's yeah yeah. Generally, I try to respect the art, mm-hmm. um, but there are times when like I'm watching a movie and I just I'm really curious, like who is this guy? I have to know, and then I pull up the Wikipedia summary. But I'm trying to avoid doing that because, you know, sure there was that one study that one time that said actually spoilers don't ruin your enjoyment. That assholes love to bring up mm-hmm. to you know to be like so I should be able to spoil for you, but. The truth is, it's just better to just go linear. Start at the beginning, work your way to the end, have a good time. And this is one of the reasons why I stopped uh, reading um, reviews. I just decided, you know what, I don't need to check out um, reviews until uh, until I finished the work myself. And then I will read the reviews to see what other people are saying. Um, so that's been fun, is... is setting that rule for myself because now I don't feel quite as swayed by people mm-hmm. or make my own observations and I get to compare and contrast myself with other people. And I find that more fun. So yeah, I try to just take the work exactly as it was intended because that tends to lead me to discovery or, or excitement. Um, so one thing we've been doing on these final fantasy or, or kingdom Hearts streams I've been doing is no spoilers. Like I have questions and I ask those and my guides on this journey uh, are often very adamant. Like, nope, you cannot know that yet. We do not want you to know that yet. And then, you know, Oron from Final Fantasy X shows up and I'm like, oh my God, it's him. <laughs> this is the greatest thing. And the joy I get from discovering him when the game makes it hype is way better. Because uh, I was talking with uh, some friends about Yakuza 7 the other mm-hmm. day. And we were talking about what makes it powerful. And, and I said, well, one of the things is other character reactions. Like, 
I didn't even know who this character was because Yakuza 7 is my first full Yakuza game. Like, I actually sat down and played the whole thing all the way through. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know who this character was, but him showing up caused other characters to, like, gasp. And it's just like when little children, like, see an adult. um, Like, little children will do something and they'll think it's fine. Like, you know, try to eat a candle. Um, and then an adult will like stop and panic and pull them away. And then the kid will act scared because they realize the adult's scared. And so they're learning from the adult. Oh, I need to be scared here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, like humans still do that. Even when we're adults, we feel emotions based on what the people around us are feeling. So when you create a scene and you have like all the characters go, Oh my God, it's that legendary guy. Everyone like the audience is going to feel that way more strongly than if you just show a shot of the guy looking cool. So, you know, I, I, like, I like coming in a story in the direction they wanted me to because that's how you create those feelings. So I can miss them if I come in way later. No. I hope that makes sense. No, that, that makes sense. It actually takes you back to the beginning when you were talking about Barbara Walters interviews and uh, the cuts from games where it's waiting for that reaction. Um, but thank you so much for joining me and your insight into the world of creating the the language that's used and then talking about that uh, assembly of a game ideas and tropes. Uh, where can we find, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at at doc squiddy on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me at, um, docsus.medium.com which is my uh, place where I write often very long and in-depth threads about games. So, um, like, I spent... God, I don't even know. uh, 13,000 words on Death Stranding, I think, just talking about why I thought it was a really good game. And I'm not even, like, a big Kojima stan. I just that game and it hit me really hard and i wanted everybody to know um so yeah docsuce.medium.com for my medium posts uh at doc squiddy for uh twitter and then uh twitch.tv slash docsuce every once in a while i stream games and i'm because i know a lot about games but i missed a lot of games growing up mm-hmm. because it's super religious conservative parents uh i get to come at games with a fresh like fresh eyes even though i know a lot about games i'm a professional game designer i've worked on tons of triple a games like i i know how to make games good some games i miss like metroid prime which is the game i'm going to be streaming after i finish the kingdom Hearts series wrap up so you know that's uh doxus on twitch is a is a good place to watch me be really surprised about certain video games i i completely like the whole reason for my channel was um my best friend, my wife, and I like coming together with games. I didn't get them too much later as well. So mm-hmm. I, I understand missing a lot of games or like I came in at like the hype of Call of Duty, like when I was joining the army. So I do understand. But thank you so much for your time. And winners, if you enjoyed this, please follow uh, Doc. Uh, I will make sure a link to his Patreon. Uh, I'll probably have a link in here to Adios. I highly recommend it. Even though we talked about it and you now know the ending, the journey is well worth it. Uh, to play that and experience it. So I wholeheartedly recommend it either on Xbox or Steam. Thank you again so much, Doc, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. And remember, you're all winners out there. Keep it weird and have a fantastic rest of your day.